0: Well, I want to say Happy New Year's Eve. As uh, Pastor Dominic mentioned, I think we are just uh, over 13 hours away or so from saying goodbye officially to 2023 and entering into a brand new year full of hope and potential. And um, I've heard it said that being young on New Year's Eve is um, being allowed to and being super excited to stay up very late, and being middle age is being forced to stay up very late. <laughs> Uh, so I'm feeling that this year, but um, perhaps with the new year, that means for some of us we're trying to make some healthy changes in our lives. We might have some New Year's resolutions if you make those, or new goals that you are getting ready to embark on. And one very common uh, New Year's resolution is a healthier diet. And my good news for you this morning is that doesn't start for another 13 hours. So. That means you have plenty of time to finish off all the Christmas ham, the eggnog, the Christmas cookies before you begin the diet tomorrow. Uh, This reminds me of one of my favorite personal New Year's resolutions to stop procrastinating, but I'll wait till tomorrow to start. Well, when I looked up most common New resolutions, they were in areas you would definitely expect. Things like our fitness, our, our diet, our finances, our habits. Things like exercising more, eating better, paying off debts. Um, and these are all certainly good things. Um, I want to challenge you this morning that none of those are the most important thing. So uh, my goal this morning is not to dissuade you from setting and keeping a personal goal This year, I think goals with a purpose and with a vision can be absolutely great. Um, In fact, just earlier this morning, we as a church celebrated the Reach 200 goal. That's awesome. So, if you do well uh, with a challenge for yourself or a goal, I would say go for it in this upcoming year. Uh, My goal for this morning is also not to convince you of a new list of New Year's resolutions that I think you should make in your life. Sure. Uh, If you ask for my advice, I might have a list for you, like I would give myself. I might say things like read your Bible more, spend less time on social media, spend less time on cable news, uh, prioritize your family over work, be a cheerful giver, and so on and so on. There's a a list that I can make, and I think these are all good, healthy things as well, but they are also not the most important thing. So instead, my goal for us this morning is just to remind you of your priorities, so really just to remind you of your very top priority. The best thing that we as Christ followers can do in the year 2024 is not something brand new, but instead it's to simply abide or remain in Jesus Christ. This means receiving and trusting in all that God is for us in Jesus and staying in or remaining in that intimate, close relationship that we have with him. Your relationship with Jesus should always be your top priority, whether it's today in the final 13 hours of 2023, in this next year, 2024, or for the rest of your life. So to remind you uh, of this priority this morning, we're going to read from uh, the Gospel of John chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 1. So if you want to be opening up your own Bibles, you can open up to John 15. um, Or, If you want to follow along, the words will be on the side screen as well. Um, and while you are opening up to there, I just want to give, give you a little bit of context for this passage. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night immediately before his crucifixion. Um, and they're observing the Passover uh, up in the upper room. Jesus knows himself that this will be his last night with his disciples, even if they haven't fully realized it yet. So starting at John 13, which is where Jesus begins a dinner by washing his disciples' feet, uh, to begin the last supper through all the way through John 17, Jesus is encouraging, comforting and teaching his disciples in what we now call the upper room discourse. He prepares them for what is about to happen and teaches them about life in him even after he departs. So I kind of imagine like a really close knit dinner between friends where the food is all gone, but the conversation lingers well into the night. Um, The disciples are uh, taking up and listening to all that Jesus is teaching them. So let's read uh, John chapter chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and we'll just go through verse 8 this morning. I encourage you to read, you know, this week, read the whole upper room discourse from John 13 to 17, but we're just doing these eight verses this morning, starting at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain, or abide, in me as I also remain in you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here Jesus uses a grapevine as an illustration of a spiritual truth. It was cool to see Steph bring a number of plants with vines, including a grapevine this morning. And the illustration on the surface is simple enough. God the Father is the gardener, Jesus the Son is the vine, and we are the branches uh, but what does it mean to bear fruit, right? This is um, a metaphor the Bible often uses to describe the produce of our lives, whether it's good or bad. So I just want to spend a moment talking about what it means to bear fruit. Many of us might immediately think about, uh, in terms of bearing fruit, what we've been doing for the Lord, right? We might be thinking how many people we've won to Christ, the number of hours that we've served, uh, the amount of money that we've given, and so forth. Uh, But these things are actually just the end results of bearing fruit. They're not the actual fruit itself. In short, I would summarize bearing fruit as one word, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. This is the identifying mark of a true believer is that we produce positive Christ-like qualities in our lives. God's desire to transform us into the image of Christ, or his, his uh, will is to transform us into the image of Christ and make us as fruitful as Jesus was. If we are the branches, there must be something of the life of the vine being Jesus in us if we belong to God. Galatians 5 describes the qualities of a life controlled by the flesh. And then it gives the inward graces of a life, of the, of the graces of the Holy Spirit. You know this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, in fact, uh, coming into the new year, Pastor Dominic right away, starting next week, is going to be doing a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. So kind of consider this a prologue, an introduction to that. Um, but these, these qualities, love, joy, peace, um, bearing fruit, this doesn't mean that these qualities are going to be perfected in our lives. But they must be present. The reason they're named the fruit of the spirit and not of the fruit of the self is because these things can only come from God. God is the source. If we try to drudge up these qualities from inside ourselves through our effort, the fruit we're going to get is the fruit of the flesh because we are all sinful. Qualities like hatred, jealousy, selfishness, sexual immorality, anger, and rage. But when we repent of our sin and receive Jesus as Lord of our lives, he changes our hearts. Now the fruit that we produce is good fruit. So are you known for your anger? Or are you known for your self-control and your forgiveness? Are you known for your selfishness and jealousy? Are you known for your generosity and kindness? The fruit we produce is the outflowing of our hearts. So if that is where Christ resides, then the fruit we bear should resemble Christ. This is a tougher test than outward signs like souls saved, hours served, or money given, for it's possible to have those outward signs without having the life of Christ within. So the fruit God looks for is Christ's life in us, Christ-likeness. So I'm going to go verse by verse here again, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So if we just read this verse by simply saying Jesus is setting up an analogy, that's true, but it's going to lose some of its impact. This statement, I am the true vine, uh, this is such a powerful pronouncement that it indeed would have been an attention grabber for the disciples listening at the dinner. First off, uh, the marker I am, um, this was the seventh and final I am statement of Jesus that uh, John included in his gospel. Each I am statement could be, honestly, a sermon on its own or a sermon series. Uh, but to summarize each of them, I'm going to go through the seven real quick. Starting in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This means that Jesus satisfies our spiritual needs forever. Then, I am the light of the world, that Jesus guides us out of spiritual darkness and sin. In John 10, there's two, I am the door of the sheep, um, that Jesus is the entrance to salvation and also I am the good shepherd, that Jesus is caring and protective of us. He's one who lays down his life for his sheep, symbolizing his sacrificial love. I am the resurrection and the life, that Jesus has the power over death and is the giver of eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This means that Jesus is the exclusive path to God, the embodiment of truth and the source of eternal life. And now finally, the final I am statement here in John 15, I am the true vine, meaning that staying connected to Jesus helps us spiritually grow and be fruitful in our lives. Secondly, Jesus saying I am the true vine would have been a shocking attentive attention grabber since the grapevine was a grand symbol of the national life of Israel. The emblem of a grapevine appeared on coins minted during this period, and there was a huge gold grapevine that decorated the gates of the temple in Jerusalem. This is because numerous passages in the Old Testament show that God viewed the nation of Israel as his choice vine. One example is in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, uh, 5 7 reads, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, The men of Judah are the gardens of his delight. However, the nation Israel unfortunately failed as a vine to produce good fruit. The rest of Isaiah 5, 7 reads, And God looked for justice, that was the quality he was looking for, but saw only bloodshed. God looked for righteousness, again, a quality he was looking for, but heard only cries of distress. Uh, Isaiah 5, 2 sums it up well by saying, God looked for a crop of good grapes but it yielded only bad fruit. So by Jesus saying he is the true vine, Jesus is calling attention to false vines, such as unfaithful Israel. In the old covenant, the disciples' first identification would have previously been found in their national identity as Israelites, as the chosen people of God. However, in the new covenant, our first identification is in Jesus Christ himself, for he is the true vine that we must be connected to him if we want to bear fruit for God. I think this is an important application point for us to pause on and reflect for a moment because this means that bearing fruit for God has nothing to do with which family we are born into, our wealth, our status, our national citizenship, or any other ways that we can find to identify ourselves. Instead, it only has to do with one thing, and that is our connection to the true vine, Jesus. Going on to verse 2, Jesus continues, he, meaning God the Father, Cuts off every branch, that's us, in the vine, that's Jesus, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Grape growers know that a grapevine will never produce anywhere near its potential without being pruned. I'm by no means an expert in grape growing, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, but from the little I researched, the pruning process usually happens in the winter and it involves removing excess or unhealthy shoots, canes and buds, including cutting away last year's growth and removing any dead or diseased wood. And to the uninitiated eye, this might look kind of cruel, right, or wasteful because you're cutting off so much, but to the experienced eye, it's the only way to grow healthy, delicious fruit. And the same is true in the Christian life. What is involved in pruning? Well, the knife. Pain, suffering, discipline, trial. Sometimes the pain of pruning happens because of our sins, but sometimes it's simply because we are bearing abundant fruit and God wants us to bear more. God wants us to continue to grow. Think about it. Jesus says the unhealthy branches, they're not pruned. They're simply thrown out. It's the healthy branches, the branches that are doing well, those that best convey the life of the vine, being Jesus, they are the ones that get the knife. The healthy branches get the knife. Sometimes I think we can trick ourselves as Christians thinking things like, oh, when I get spiritually mature, uh, those bad things won't happen to me anymore. Or uh, when this happens, when I reach this level, those trials or difficulties, they'll stop. But the reality is afflictions would only stop if they were useless. And that is why they'll never stop. It's because God can use them. Many of you may be thinking right now of great Bible passages like James chapter 1 or Philippians 4, and I encourage you to read those. But one of my personal favorites is Romans 5 verse 3, where Paul writes, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, in character produces hope. In sports, a great coach doesn't get his team ready or her team ready by just telling them, hey, be happy and do whatever you'd like in practice. Do whatever you feel like, right? No, if a great coach wants to build up endurance, a great coach tells their team to get on the line, run wind sprints, line to line, back and forth, over and over, again and again. That is what produces endurance. That is what produces character. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, in the moment, all discipline seems painful, like the analogy of getting the knife rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's the unpleasant discipline that bears the fruit. I think this can be especially difficult sometimes as parents, is we never want to see our children struggle or go through a difficult time, right? That hurts us to see that. In fact, it's probably something, if we're honest, that we're actively praying against to God as parents. We're, we're praying against our child going through difficulty or trial. But I was listening to a Christian podcast recently, and it really challenged me. It said, as parents, don't just always pray for smooth sailing for your kids, This teaches them that happiness and comfort and ease, uh, that those are king and it doesn't prepare them for the guaranteed difficulties that will happen during life. Instead, their challenge was to pray for a healthy dose of crisis to come into your kid's life. Bearable, a healthy dose, a healthy balance of difficulty. And when this happens, resist the urge to immediately rescue your kids from the hardship. Now, this doesn't mean you just abandon them and let them defend on their own and, hey, you handle it, you're gone. No, instead, it means that you uh, journey with them through the hardship. You wrestle through it with them. You allow them to wrestle through it. For problems and trials produce endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. So no matter your age, if you are currently going through a pruning season, if you're currently going through a challenging season in life, let it be an encouragement to you that God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. God's hand is never closer than when he's pruning. God uses difficulty in our lives to teach us and shape us and make us even more fruitful. For without pruning, a vineyard would never be in full bloom. Continuing on in verse 3, Jesus reminds the disciples that the work of pruning or cleansing had already begun in them because they heard and received much of his teaching and were in some sense already uh, clean because of the word. So uh, quick application here, but for Christians, God's word is always pruning or a cleansing agent, right? God's word condemns sin, inspires holiness, and promotes growth, which is why it's so important to stay connected to God's word. Verse four, Jesus continues, remain, some translations, you might have the word abide instead of remain, uh, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see, up to this point, the disciples didn't know what a relationship with Jesus looked like when he wasn't physically with them, right? That's all they've ever known. If you think about it, what Jesus is saying here and teaching here is he's he's not saying all this, but he's basically saying, "Hey, I'm about to go die on the cross. I'm going to then resurrect from the dead. I'm going to then going to ascend into heaven. So I'm no longer going to be physically with you, um, in human form. But you can and should always remain connected to me. Our relationship with one another, our connection, our friendship, it's not going to end, disciples. Even after I return to heaven." And it's the same way for us Christians now. Even though Jesus isn't physically walking around on the planet as a human, we still, have, uh, we still have the ability to have a mutual relationship with him through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. To abide means to stay or to remain. To abide in the Lord means that we continually receive, believe, and trust that Jesus is everything we need. We stay connected to him. The image of the vine and the branches emphasizes a sense of dependency where the branches draw their life, their sustenance, their vitality from the vine. Similarly, believers find their spiritual life and strength only through connection to Jesus. This connection involves constant prayer, reading the scripture, and obedience to his teachings and commands. Jesus reiterates this point. Uh, down in verse 5, making the illustration he's making crystal clear when he clarifies and says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. This brings me to my key point for this morning. So if you've tuned me out all morning, that's fine, but pay attention right here. It's this, our production is determined by our connection. What do I mean by that? Our production, in this case bearing fruit, is determined only by our connection to Jesus. With Jesus our production is determined by our connection. Many think a lot of times it's the opposite of that. We think we get to be connected or loved by somebody if we produce for them, right? That's how the world works. If we produce for the person, then We earn their love or connection. This is because we think in terms of human relationships where we need to produce first in order to connect, right? If you are an employee, uh, if you make the company money and you deliver results um, in sales or uh, you do well for the company, then you get to be connected to your boss, right? If you don't produce results, then the company maybe is moving on from you and you're looking for a new job. If you're a student and wanna be connected to the teacher, well, you better listen, you better get A's, uh, you better give smart answers to the questions, and then the teacher will love you. If you're uh, with a relationship with a coach, right, you wanna play well, score lots of goals, practice hard, and then you're the favorite athlete. But on the flip side, if you don't produce results on the field, you're probably riding the bench. Tragically, some here may have felt like they grew up in a household where it was like this with their parents, achieve, and we're proud of you. But if you don't live up to our expectations, then we're disappointed with you. This is the constant pressure of conditional love, feeling like you need to meet certain expectations in order to earn love, acceptance, or appreciation. It's constant pressure. Well, church, God is not like that, not at all. God doesn't say, you have to do a lot of good works, and once you have done enough, then you can have a relationship with me. Or, hey, clean up your act first, and then you can come to church, and you can come to me. Nope. The truth of the gospel, like Romans 5, 8 says, is, but God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to be connected with God is not based on our performance. If it was, we would all fall short of God's perfect standard. And yet God showers us with unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. Despite our faults, God's desire is that we remain connected to him. When I was really young, uh, I had an apple tree in my backyard. And us Minnesotans might be much more familiar with apple trees than with grapevines. But a healthy branch of an apple tree doesn't have to try super hard to produce apples, right? Uh, The the branch of the apple tree isn't sitting there striving and straining. It's not sitting there going, ugh, come on, please, please, please make some apples. You know, like through my effort, I'm going to make some apples because I'm a branch. No, instead, it's a natural process. If the branch is connected to the tree and the branch is healthy, it's going to make apples automatically. It's the natural result because it is connected to the tree. But if the branch falls off the tree, um, if it withers, if the branch gets knocked down by a thunderstorm, well, that branch can exert all the effort it wants on its own, but it's not going to produce any apples because its production is determined only by its connection. It needs to be connected to the source of life being the tree. So Jesus tells us to abide in him and then good fruit will naturally flow out of you. Love, joy, peace. You won't have to fake it. You won't have to conjure it up from your own will and determination and effort. You won't have to be through straining and striving really hard. It's just because you are connected with God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it will flow out of you naturally. Just by being connected to Jesus. To finish up in verses 6 through 8, Jesus warns us of the consequences of disconnection versus the promises of abiding. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 6 there can be a hard saying, right? Um, When it says, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. It can be something difficult to read. Um, And here's how I read this verse. The withered branches that do not abide in Jesus are unsaved pretenders who faked an attachment to the vine, but ultimately never drew any life from it. In the end, the pretenders will be seen for what they were, just hangers-on who had no authentic attachment to Jesus, For instance, for a time, both the disciples Peter and Judas seemed identical in their walk with Christ. But Peter was ultimately attached to the vine, while Judas was not. I thought one theologian summed up this verse well, writing, and if it is painful to bleed, that's referring to the pruning we talked about in verse 2, and if it's painful to bleed, it is even worse to wither. Better be pruned to grow than cut up to burn. On the flip side, there are great promises if we do remain in Christ. Verse seven says Jesus will answer our prayers. Right? It says, um, "Ask whatever you wish; it will be done for you." Jesus will answer our prayers since our prayers will naturally align with His will. And in verse eight, uh, states the ultimate purpose of bearing fruit, uh, bearing lasting fruit, is to bring glory to the Father. As we abide in Christ, our lives become a reflection of his love, grace, and transformative power. Every act of kindness, every word of encouragement, every expression of love uh, is a testament to the reality of Jesus living inside of us. So to conclude, we are now uh, just over 12 and a half hours away from the year 2024. And if I'm being honest Uh, which I'll I'll limit uh, some of it. But if I'm being honest, I think 2024 could be a weird year. I think it could bring some difficulty from a worldly perspective, right? Uh, The world constantly seems to get just a little bit stranger every year. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Um, But we still have numerous wars going on in the world. We have what promises to be a very, I'll use the word, interesting election year in the United States. Uh, 2024 uh, could bring apart difficulty, And if you spend all your time trying to connect to the world, and that's where you focus your energy, instead of connecting to the true vine, I think I could easily envision this being a year filled with fear, with worry, with anger, with stress, with anxiety. Because that's the chaos the world brings, right? It's going to be fearful. It's going to be chaotic. It could bring you stress. But remember the Advent season that we just came out of. The promise of Christmas means Emmanuel, God with us. We can have a relationship with God. The promises of hope, peace, joy, and love were realized in Christmas. Now, don't we all want that? Hope, more peace, more joy, more love, rather than the chaos and anger and fear and stress of the world? So as we step into the new year 2024, You can make a lot of great goals, but let's make it our number one goal to just stay connected and abide in Jesus. Let's abide in him through prayer, immerse ourselves in his word, and live out and be obedient to his teachings. In doing so, we position ourselves to experience a year marked by spiritual growth, abundant fruitfulness that brings glory to God, and a deepening relationship with our Savior. So may the Lord bless you and keep you as you abide in him throughout this coming year. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we just again thank you for Jesus coming to this earth. We thank you um, for the love, joy, peace, and hope that he brings. Um, Lord, we thank you that um, we can remain connected to you every day um, and that you will help us bear fruit that is only found through you. So help us this year as we strive to become uh, more Christ-like, not through our own effort and, and what we do, but simply by be, being remaining connected to you, by letting you work through us. Uh, so Lord, I bless the rest of this day, uh, bless this evening as we celebrate uh, the end of this year and reflect on all the ways you were faithful to us, um, and also look forward with excitement to what this next year brings. We love you, Lord, and peace in your name. Amen.